Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Well, of course, you know, the negative side of that live tweeting with, with comedy in particular is that it's really, really easy for, for people to be negative about a show within the first five minutes. And of course, and comedy, particularly scripted comedy, as we all know, it's a gentle, delicate flower that needs, that needs a lot of TLC, a lot of watering, and a lot of care. And so, you know, I know a lot of writers and producers who, you know, their show goes up on air and within 10 minutes, people are slagging it off. And it's just like, you know, you just think, oh, give it a chance, give it a chance. And that's the downside of Twitter. You know, it can be extremely destructive. Hello and welcome to the RC Industry Podcast, episode 50. My name's Simon Kane. For those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today, TV. Graham Smith is the former commissioning editor for Channel 5 and 4. He's the man behind getting spaced upon TV, among many, many other TV credits. And we get into which ones were his favourites and which ones he was least proud of. So for a number of years, he worked as a commissioner for different TV channels. And now his company, Grand Scheme Media, take scripts from people and get them ready to be put in front of commissioning editors who he is still friends with. So it's a really interesting concept as a company. It works really well. They do a lot of training for people to learn how to script edit, and we get into that, as well as how to write for different channels, what TV channels are looking for, how to give your show a better chance of being seen and put on different TV networks, and so much more in between. We also get a little bit into whether you should just put it online and build an audience for yourself, and how getting something noticed by an audience can help it get noticed by the mainstream, and then whether it's worth pursuing that. And it's just, a, it's just a really detailed interview for anyone who wants to build their own following online, but also wants to get their stuff put in the mainstream media, and loads more. While I've got you, this is episode 50, and I can't even tell you how excited I am about that fact. I knew I was in this for the long run, but I didn't realise there was going to be an audience for it in the long run. I know that sounds mental, I thought this was going to be a total vanity project, and I didn't think anyone would be anywhere near as interested in these subject matters as I am. So first of all, if you've listened to every episode, well done. <laughs> it's about 80 hours worth of content I've put out. So if you've listened to all of it, well done you. Pat yourself on the back. Genuinely impressed. Even if you don't listen to half of them, that's great. I know not every episode is for everyone, and that's fine. It's like a pick-and-choose-your-own-comedy-adventure-career-path thing. If you're only interested in the TV ones, listen to these ones. If you're only listening to the writing ones, that's fine. 
continue on doing that. That's great. Just if you are enjoying the show, please take a minute and consider supporting it in one of the following ways. Please don't skip. I know people skip this anyway. I've been, in the past, someone who skips the, oh, please help me, you know, by supporting the show in different podcasts. But I've recently stopped doing that. Partly because I run my own, but partly because even if you can't do it right now, it's worth you knowing some ways you can in the future. So if you're sat at your desk at work and you're like, well, I can't do anything right now, note something down and do it when you get home. The first way you can support me, very simple, join the community on Facebook. It's called Ask the Industry Podcast and it's on Facebook, obviously. It's a great place to find out where the next guests are coming up. Also, I'm working on a conference for later on the year where we'll all get to meet up and have a chat and learn about different things from different industry experts. If you want to know about that, Facebook group is the best place for that. Also, it's the place where you can ask future guests questions. There's really no reason not to join that. It's completely free as it would be on Facebook. Second way, give it a review in iTunes. We've got 44 reviews. And here's the thing. A lot of people send me private messages on Facebook or tweet me saying they really loved an episode, which is great. And genuinely, I screenshot them all and keep them for myself. I don't post them anywhere, but they they mean a lot. When I'm I'm really tired and I can't bother to edit or I'm not in the mood for it, they really get me through nights worth of editing. So thank you for those. However, I've got... Oh, and I check my folder. I've got 108 screenshots of things people have sent me and we've got 44 reviews if you are someone who has ever sent me a private message complimenting the show just copy what you wrote right maybe edit slightly if you don't want any personal details but copy it paste it into itunes give it four five stars five stars would be ideal and then just hit send really you've got there's like no effort there it's hardly anything so if you can do that that'd be great if you've never written anything nice to me you can if you want. Uh, I'm at This Made Me Cool. Tweet me. If not, you can get me on uh, Facebook, which is fine as well. Add me. Feel free um, on there. Pretty easy to find. If you've already done a review or you haven't got an iTunes account or you don't want to join iTunes so you want to do something else, just pick an episode. Pick one through 50. Whichever one is your favorite episode or the episode you got the most out of or whatever and share it on a social media site. Really helps out with the downloads. Really helps spread the word. Just put a little, you know, this was great, I really got loads out of this, blah, 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 blah. And then share it wherever you want to share it. And if you can tag me in it so I can thank you for doing that, that'd be great. I do get back to everyone and I do spend a lot of time saying thank you for doing it because genuinely I know how important that is and I know how useful it is for the numbers of downloads we're getting, which are eking towards 100,000. I'm so excited for that, you have no idea. So, that'd be great as well. Other things you can do, think this podcast is worth anything, and you've got a quid that you can throw my way, you can PayPal it to me, or if you've got a quid per episode, that would be ideal as well. Genuinely, uh, in some ways, being a patron is a lot more useful. I've had some people message me and say, I will donate, I'm just going to wait until I've got a few quid to send because I don't want to send you a pound. Don't worry about that. Genuinely, if I mean, if you haven't got money, don't do it. Do one of those three things I've just said, right? But if you've got money and you don't mind giving me a dollar, which is what Patreon is in currency, per episode, please do that. Like, every, if 100 people were to give me a dollar an episode, it's, it's in some ways more useful than people giving me 20 quid every three months. Just because if I know how much money people are donating by having it pledged there ahead of time... It does help me budget better. So if you're able to do it, please join the Patreon. If not, please just send me a one-off donation via PayPal. 
do not feel like you have to. These are always going to be three, so don't worry about it. But it does keep it going, and it does financially help me because I lose about five days a month to these, and it would be really useful if you could support that financially because obviously that's money that I'm just pl- throwing down the toilet. The last way you can support me is if you are going to the Brighton Fringe, I am doing two shows there. I won't tell you what dates I'm doing because this has already gone on long enough, but I'm doing two shows, one called Buddhism and Cats at the Carolina Brunswick, and I'm doing six runs of that. So if you want to come down, if you haven't seen it yet, or if you have seen it and you want to see it again in its finished form, because I did it as a work in progress last year, that would be great. Uh, And if you want to see my new show, I'm doing a work in progress down there. It's called Human in Progress, and it's at the... Hobgoblin. If you would like to come and watch either of those shows, they're on the free fringe, so you can donate whatever you want afterwards. If you don't want to donate online, and you want to give me the money in person, and you're in Brighton, those are the best places to do it. I'm not going to say any more. Honestly, just thank you so much for even listening and downloading this episode. Thank you so much for your support. Without any more delays, this is Graham Smith fairly unusual offering in television today in that we're not a production company we do the creative things so we help people get their program ideas uh, ready for pitching to the channels uh, and then we will also package uh, the projects and bring together talent with the the relevant channel and we will also bring a production company on board to actually make the show so that's what we did with alan davis as yet untitled the show that currently runs on dave mm. So a comedian or a writer would come to you with an idea. At what stage would they approach you then? They will come to us just with an an idea for a comedy uh, and we will uh, advise them on whether we think that has a chance of commission uh, across the the many channels that are commissioning scripted comedy at the moment. Sometimes people will come to us with a full script. So if that happens, we will act as script editors uh, and, and help get the project in shape for pitching. You know, we're very, very fortunate because, you know, I used to be a, a commissioning editor at Channel 4 and at Channel 5 and was an executive producer at the BBC. So very lucky in that we have pretty good relationships uh, 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 with all the uh, comedy commissioning editors across all channels. Mm. And uh, when you say script editing stuff, does that mean, because when I spoke to Ian Coyle, uh, he's at Dave, he said uh, basically each channel has their own sort of tone of voice and guideline. Yeah. So essentially, are you trying to... I don't want to say modify an idea, but are you trying to like push an idea to a certain channel to make it more viable to sell, or how, how does that work business-wise? Each channel has a has a, has a different identity. You know, the identity of BBC One and ITV One is is different from ITV Two or E Four or Comedy Central or Dave or, or Gold at UK TV. You know, they've they, they've each got their own tone. Uh, they've got their own sort of demographic. You know, inevitably, Gold plays to older people. Whereas ITV2, E4, BBC3 play to younger people. Uh, and there are various uh, stops in between. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and uh, from a business point of view, it makes sense to, to target one specific channel with a program? Or would it make sense to, to try and, say you had an idea for a sitcom, try and adjust it to, to approach certain different channels in different ways? Someone's written a, um, uh, a comedy that is, that is quite a young skewing comedy. Inevitably, that means that you can pitch it at uh, ITV2 or to E4, or to BBC3. But within that, there are differences in tone between each of those channels. Uh, ITV2 can, tends to be, can be a little ruder, a little more naughty. Um, you know, BBC3 is you know, very much about growing new talent that may well progress to BBC2 or, 
or, or BBC One. So again, it's like you know, our, our job is to is to, is to know that and to advise writers uh, or, about which channel that their project is is best suited, and then also to, uh, as I say, actors, script editors, or managers to uh, to make sure that when the project is sent to the right commissioner it feels right for that channel yeah yeah i remember ian saying that like uh he says he said something like that he's not a commissioner as such he's kind of an ad man in a way because he has to kind of make it feel right for the channel and so yeah it would make sense to to have that feeling there as as early as possible i I mean i'm lucky to have been a commissioning editor at at a couple of channels and so you 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 automatically understand the particular tone of your channel and so uh, Ian Coyle from UKTV is, is absolutely right. You know, his job is to understand the tone of Dave and the tone of Gold, etc. Et, et and 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 our job as being on the outside is to is to help creatives whether whether someone's got a script for a, a scripted comedy or a, a, a comedy entertainment format. Our job is to advise people on how to get their 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 project absolutely. Uh, you know, on message for a particular channel. Yeah, totally. And you, you previously commissioned space. For, That's right. For Channel Four. Way back when I was at Channel Four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, can you talk us through? So, from when you were a commissioner, when someone came to you with that idea, how was that? Did, like, was that ready for Channel Four? Like, did you have to work on that? And then, how long was it from pitch to getting it on TV? Okay, I mean, space was a really interesting example the the actual idea behind space at the time was to see whether we could find a low budget um sitcom you know we, you know we're going back to sort of 1997 or so uh, and so we so i was looking for for a relatively low budget sitcoms basically to show that it, it could be done that you know you you know back then that you didn't have to spend 200 grand on a on an episode of a sitcom you could do it cheaper than that and so that's that's how that conversation started and then in actual fact when simon and jessica and edgar wright brought the pilot i the pilot script of spaced in you know it was pretty much there you know it did not need a lot of of alteration and what you see in that first episode of spaced is pretty much the script that they that they brought in and obviously because edgar wright was attached right from the beginning as director you know he had a visual um uh you know he already he already knew how he wanted to shoot it and so he already had storyboards and uh, and, and and clear ideas about how how he was going to shoot all those scenes with Simon and uh, and Jessica and, and Nick Frost etc uh, and how long was it from well obviously with that then it sounds like it was quite a fluid sort of pitch in that respect so getting it from pitch to tv I assume that Channel 4 didn't produce it themselves today, or was that done by an external...? No. I mean, you know, the, the, the process of original pitch to it getting actually getting on the telly was pretty quick because um, it, was, it was relatively new talent, but they had some really... They were associated with some really good um, producers. So the project was actually done as a, almost co- as a co-production between what was then known as the, as the Paramount Comedy Channel... And so they had a producer there called Mifan Moore, who's sort of legendary in, in, in her talent spotting skills. So uh, it was Paramount as as as, as the co commissioner uh, again with and then with London Weekend Television, who were you know the big boys, the grown ups. And the producer there at the time was a guy called Gareth Edwards, who again has gone on to produce many 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 hit shows and has worked for the BBC now for for a long long time. And what would you say? So yeah, it sounds like they sort of had it 
ready, like sort of uh, out of the box, as it were. Yeah. And, wh- and what would you say to someone if they were cynically saying uh, that you're you're sort of um, changing your idea or modifying your idea for a channel, or you're pl- or you're playing a game rather than just having a creative license to do whatever you want if you wanted something on TV? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you know, one one view is it's it's a it's a cynical. Um, uh, a way to address getting the, the 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 project right for the right channel, but for us that's just common sense. That's just that's just common sense. It's like you know, if if you, if you want to get a show commissioned on TV, you know, you have to know what that particular channel makes, what the tone of that channel is, because you know, our job now as consultants is to stop people wasting time. You know, commissioning or de- developing something that isn't going to get commissioned, or if they if they if they're determined to make a show for BBC Two, let's say, our job is to say, well, actually, BBC Two is really really busy. It's really difficult to get something commissioned on BBC Two, but you might want to consider developing it for Channel Four or for Dave, one of those channels. And then and and if it needs a slight adjustment in tone, you know, our job is to help the writer help the creatives in getting that right yeah i mean from, from a business point of view like you said they've each got their own audience it makes sense to play to the audience indeed and if you don't want to do that i mean there are channels online like youtube and vimeo and stuff where you can share and, and build your own audience if you wanted to yeah i mean that's certainly an alternative way to to promote ideas and it and it's something that that the that, that creative people writers and comedy performers sketch performers are are doing more and more and, and we're we're always totally supportive of that because if you can actually shoot something if you can shoot a few scenes it really really helps in in selling the, the project because it's like you know a commissioner will read a script but if a commissioner can see something it helps we, you know which is why you know channel four you know do things like blaps because mm. blaps is like a mini mini piloting system yeah. you know bbc the comedy shorts on bbc3 or on bbc3 it's the same thing it's like you can you can shoot a a, a, a mini pilot that is somewhere between a between being a trailer for the idea and a sort of half a pilot. It's it's there, these are all good ways to to sell an idea to show the commissioners this is what it's going to be like. The, this this is the talent who's going to be involved. This is the tone of the humour. And and although there's that new avenue, as it were, to get people like who new talent through. When I when I was talking to Ian, uh, he he made it quite clear that um, most of the big agents say that TV doesn't break comedy or comedians in the same way it used to. And I and I, I think main, the main thing he was referring to there is uh, stand-up shows, yeah. where where you're kind of already known enough that you would be on that show anyway. It wouldn't necessarily be an open micer that would immediately get elevated to that. Right. I mean, what do you, what do you do you think that, that TV can break people still, or do you think TV can get people from sort of one 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 level to the next yeah i think so and you know obviously there's always been a really really strong tradition year after year of of taking breakthrough acts at edinburgh or performers who've made a, a big big splash at edinburgh and then tv will uh, pick them up will put them into development or sometimes they will attach uh, emerging talent onto uh, uh, onto projects that are already being developed, you know, uh, Nick, Nick Helm on Uncle is a, is, a, is a good example of that. You know, Nick Helm had a great uh, breakthrough year in Edinburgh a, a few years back, and and so television was interested in developing him. But then, you know, Uncle came along as a as a separate project in development, and suddenly he was perfect to be cast in the in in the lead of something like that. You know, and you know nowadays, you know, you get you get. Um, uh, you get vehicles for talent, you know, be it Josh Widdicombe or Joe Lysett, etc., etc. So, television is always interested in 
in, in finding that new breakthrough talent and finding the right vehicle for them as a, as a TV project. You know, and it may be a scripted thing or it may be a, uh, a comedy entertainment piece. You know, feeding uh, comedians onto panel shows is, is, is an obvious way to do it. And so quite often a stand-up will go onto panel shows and then will get into development either with their own project or working with uh, other writers or a production company to develop a, a, a scripted vehicle for their talents, you know, which is what we've seen with the, you know, the Josh uh, sitcom on BBC Three recently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a lot. There's a lot of stuff that's been said though about uh, panel shows that are developed by, say, for example, Avalon or, or PBJ or whatever, who um, put their own talent on it, basically, because well, it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you if you've spent all that money making a TV show, you would want to push your own talent on it. So, I mean, is it is it a case of some of it is a closed door system? Because obviously, if you're not in that agency, you can't. Or, or are you able to, if, they, if the talent is good enough, get them through to that show? Or would that not be something that you would work with? Well, you know, you know obviously if, if talent is attached to an agency that also makes TV shows, you know, and, you know, the, the, the obvious examples are Avalon and, and the relationship between uh, open mic productions and, and off the curb, you know, those, those, those relationships exist. And so it, it, it's just one way for, the, for those talent those artists to be promoted but there are there are plenty of of other opportunities you know for for artists to link up with a variety of production companies where there isn't that that business connection between the agency and 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 the production company you know so you know avalon and and open mic you know they're they're just two players in 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 quite a quite a big field Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And um, one of the things that keeps coming up whenever I talk to TV people is that they say that commissioners uh, are becoming more and more risk-averse because they, obviously, like they said, there's so many channels, which ironically is causing less opportunity for certain types of comedy, and and it's making it so that they have to basically appeal to um, advertisers in order to make the channel profitable. So how has that changed since when you were a commissioner to now? Because you're obviously on the other side of it now. Yeah. And so I'm wondering how your perception of it has changed or if it has changed. Okay. I mean, comedy is always a really interesting case when you look at the way, particularly commercial channels, which is basically everyone other than the BBC, about whether a programme is profitable against, held against the kudos that a programme and a comedy programme will, will, will bring to the, the channel. You know, comedies nowadays are they're, they're sort of quite notorious for not washing their face for not making the money back but because they bring such kudos to a channel that's why a channel will will persevere and obviously you know channel four has always been the, the leader in this it's always been the home of breakthrough comedy and you know even now with the successes that they've been having under the, the phil clark regime you know and they've had a, a, a lot of great creative successes catastrophe toast of london raised by wolves etc etc man down and it's like these shows you know they don't they don't do gangbusters in terms of ratings but they bring a massive amount of kudos to a channel you know catastrophes you know last night won you know another couple of rts awards you know so although there's this awful term in television called ROI, Return on Investment. Yes. <laughs> and it literally is, it's like, okay, when, 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 when a program plays, does it make its money back? Does it go into profit from advertising revenue? And, you know, comedy doesn't do that 
that often because um, you know you need to get two million viewers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But because these shows bring such kudos to a channel, that that balances out. That balances out, and so. But for a commissioner, that's always the balancing act. You know, you want to be encouraging new ideas. You want to be trying to, you know, break the mold, do something new, bring new talent on. You know, always with the understanding that these shows are not going to be profitable, but they will bring great kudos. You know, you know, Toast of London. Toast of London never gets big viewing figures, but it's a loved show because it's. It's um, it wins awards, you know, amongst the comedy community. It's you know, people love Toast of London because mm. it's a beautiful, silly show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally know. It's like um, I can't remember the name of the pub, but the one that the Mighty Boosh got their start at. Right. You know, uh, they they gave them the space for free or something, and and now they have the kudos of they got their start here. If that makes sense. Indeed. It's kind of the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's like you know, you know, good comedy does bring tremendous kudos to a channel. You know, mm. that's why more channels, you know, want to be in. The world of scripted comedy. That's why Gold is now commissioning original scripted content. Mm. That's why Dave is doing it. That's why Comedy Central is doing it. Because mm. all these channels understand that it's it sends out a great message that they are creating and, and, and commissioning original funny content. Mm. You know, and I think that you know, I, I you know, I totted them up. I think that, I think there were probably I think there were about twelve channels now in the UK who are commissioning scripted comedy which is more than more than it's ever been mm. it's, it's 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 a lot yeah. and and our job is to sort of advise writers and comic performers that you know the world is not just about BBC 2 or Channel 4 there are lots and lots of other options and mm. and so our job is to say look is to look at the, the whole picture and point out the opportunities uh, across a whole range of channels yeah yeah totally and and Netflix recently as well they've just started doing uh, original content I yep. mean what, what is your take on so I mean because on demand players are pretty much made like plus one channels redundant wouldn't you say yeah indeed you know um, because I mean you know, because because the whole trend of you know online platforms obviously Netflix Amazon Hulu etc uh, which which ties in with this phenomenon uh, in, in in program watching you know the the, 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 the phenomenon of binge viewing you know that now people will watch three, four, five, ten episodes of a of a drama and a comedy over over a weekend, which is sort of quite liberating. It's quite a liberating, and and as a viewer, I now find it quite frustrating when I'm watching a show that's going out in real time that I want to watch the next episode, and yeah. and it's like that's a that's a sort of weird feeling mm. because it's sort of it's uh, it's. Um, uh, anti-intu- anti-intuitive is that yeah, the right word? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's like you know, it's just like I was watching um, last night. I was watching Raised by Wolves, oh, yeah. you know, and I had a couple stacked up, mm. so I watched them back to back. I could have easily watched another episode if they were if they were all available yeah. to, to download right from the beginning of a series. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, I think it's Parks and Recreation is a, a thing a friend told me to look up. And I said to him, I'm not going to do it until this, like, the latest series is done. Because yes. I'd, ra- I'd rather, even if I can't, don't have time to do it, yeah. I don't want to not have that opportunity to just binge watch. Indeed. Because, I don't know, plus it feels more uh, like a sense of achievement in a weird way that you've sort of sat through yeah. the whole thing. And, and I think it also comes down to um, like Twitter and things like that with spoilers and things where you kind of don't want it to be ruined for you if you're that invested. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, it's, so very, so it's true. And you get a programme like uh, Last Man on Earth, you know, mm. which I think is a really, really interesting show. You know, it's absolutely a comedy serial. You, you have to watch it in order. And that's a show where... 
uh, I think D uh, Dave picked it up here, so it's been it's been playing on Dave here, and that is a show where you really really want to stack them up because. You know, it's an American half hour, so it's only like 20 minutes. Mm. And so you can easily watch three, four, five yep. episodes one after the other. Mm. Yeah, no, I, uh, I started watching Prison Break again a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't sleep that night. I literally, because every episode of the first series is so well cliffhanger. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I just, I can't not watch it. And it drove, I, I literally got about seven episodes in and was like, why did I start this? Because I have stuff to do tomorrow, yeah, and yeah. I feel awful already. Yeah, but yeah. I know that if I go to bed now, all I'll be thinking about is, does he get out? Oh, of course he gets yeah. out. Like it's not like I haven't seen it. But, but it's, it's like all those great dramas over the last couple of years, like House of Cards and True Detective and Breaking Bad. Of course, these are shows that absolutely lend themselves to used to a viewer immersing themselves in them, and, and that will only that will happen more and more and more with comedy. You know, you get transparent, you know, which is a very interesting, you know, it's a drama, but with lots of humor, you know, it's only half hour episodes. So, uh, you know, a show like Transparent is it's certainly one that you'd want to stack up and, mm. and, you know, spend three or four hours watching. Yeah, for, for me, the most interesting program recently in terms of... Because I work in social media for my day job, so I basically write jokes for Twitter. Right. And uh, the most re recent one is, because I read a lot of social media stuff, is uh, what's called Inside Number 9. Because when, when they analysed the Twitter activity for that, no one was tweeting during it, but they right. were tweeting in the build-up and before, right. which meant that they had such a engaged but in the TV audience yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, I, and I used to work for uh, Discovery Channel right. doing live tweeting for them and I always got annoyed when they said oh it's great that our program's trending during the you know show and I was like no it's they're not looking at the show yeah, you've yeah, spent yeah. however much money on this show yeah. and now they're looking at their phone yeah. at other people's comments on the show mm. why is this a good it, thing that's very interesting because obviously there's a massive difference between the big entertainment shows mm. like X Factor and The Voice etc et mm. where there is massive traffic in yeah. tweeting during the shows of that, course that people feel involved in having a rolling conversation. Mm -hmm. And in comedy, it's different because you want to watch the show. Yeah. And, and then you might join the conversation afterwards. Mm. But there is a fundamental difference between those, those different genres of show. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I mean, but there are a lot of comedy shows that people do tweet all the way through going, lol, that was great, or great, or atting the comedian going, yeah. that was funny, or something like that. And, but it always drives me mad because I'm like, you're, you're, if, if I had a show on TV, I would almost start it by going, don't tweet. Just <laughs> yeah. take a minute, and yeah. you know what I mean. Well, of course, you know the negative side of that live tweeting with with comedy in particular is that it's really, really easy for for people to be negative about a show within the first five minutes. Yeah, and of course, and comedy, particularly scripted comedy, as we all know, it's a gentle, delicate flower that needs that needs a lot of TLC, a lot of watering, and a lot of care. Yeah. And so, you know, I know a lot of writers and producers who. You know, their show goes up on air, and within 10 minutes, people are slagging it off. And it's just like, you know, you just think, oh, give it a chance, give yeah. it a chance. And that's the downside of Twitter. You know, it can be extremely destructive. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, Stuart Lee said something about that. Well, that's the reason why he's not on it. Because, you know, his shows, generally speaking, they're great all the way through. But if you don't wait till the end when there's like that big payoff. Yeah. You know, you're gonna you're gonna get annoyed, and and that's fine. He's like, I don't care, but I don't want to read it. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of those weird things, isn't it? Um, and 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 do you take into account second screen experience when you're when you're pitching shows and stuff like when you, when you're talk, talking about hashtags and and trying to get a show commission? I think I think it's, I think it's wise to think about you know that you know that that, that you know the secondary experience, but you can't let it dominate. You can't, you know the the basic thing is you've got to come up with a really good 
idea for a comedy with great characters and it's got to be really, really funny. Mm. And then once you've started that process, and, and hopefully once you've got a dialogue with a with a broadcaster and they're interested in your show, then then you, then you can start thinking about okay, how how do you capitalise on that? How do you how do you start to extend the community through through social media and and, and secondary and tertiary ways of uh, ways of viewing it? You know. Yeah, I've seen that done quite badly on several American shows where yeah. they've just made a Twitter feed for it, and you're like. That's not useful at all. No. I don't need to, I don't need to be tweeted when it's coming out because I can watch it any time. Yeah. It's not useful information. Yeah. And yeah, creating a community, I, I it's just more and more important now. That, I mean, uh, what, what do you think of people who like? So you said obviously shooting your own stuff would be great and putting it online. Yeah. If someone had made a show, because so for example, I think it was uh, the Midnight Beast had uh, stuff online and then they got a TV show and yep. stuff and tried to translate it across. I mean. When something like that was going through, do you think it would have been a case of trying to change the tone of voice of the channel? Or do you think they would have got a little bit more uh, creative freedom given that they've already got an audience base that are interested in the style they're going with? It sort of depends. You know, with some, some, something like Midnight Beast, I think they had a pretty well-established comedic tone when they were doing their stuff online. And so I believe that was a relatively easy transition um, on in, into what we call proper telly, you know, but that's not always the case. And so, again, it's the job of the commissioner and it's the job of the producer working with the writer and the talent to effect uh, that transition well. And sometimes it'll be a case, you know, so, so you know, a comedy performer might do a particular character online, and so there might be the beginnings of what will become a, a sitcom or a scripted comedy, but. Sometimes there's still a lot of work involved in translating that that online snapshot into something that works as a commercial, a 22 minutes as a commercial half hour, 28 minutes as a BBC half hour. Mm, yeah, totally. And and do you see the future of, of uh, just from an outsider point of view, not as in from when you were working as a commissioner, do you see the future of terrestrial channels changing as more and more digital channels become available? Or do you think they're going to just, because they've got that, I don't want to say market, but they, they are established enough. Do you think that's going to change in terms of them trying to find more new audiences or they're going to uh, try and find new talent in, in different ways? Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, you know, television as we know it is changing massively, rapidly all the time. And there are many, many naysayers. I think Richard Osman said it himself that t- TV is, will be gone in 10 years. What we know as TV will be gone. And it's already happening that... What what people are interested in is is content, is the thing, is the show. And so television, traditional linear television, will just become one of many different platforms for viewing stuff. And in a, in a way, it will become part of the promotional tool for a show in that you will, you will, you will, you will play a show on linear TV, but... Coming back to what I was saying about wanting to binge watch, <coughs> there might be a show that, that, that gets a launch on and a traditional slot on Channel 4, but once you've watched it, what you want to be able to do is watch, watch all the other, other episodes. And, so, and I think that will happen more and more. Then it's the job of, the, of the, 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 whoever has paid for it. To, to, it's their challenge then to how you monetize that, how you monetize that. If it's a commercial, uh, if it's a commercial channel how you embed adverts and that's a real challenge because you know i don't know if you've had this experience you know when you watch stuff on uh channel 4's online um 
offering. I forget what it's called. Is it called for? Yeah, for, yeah. For, you know, the adverts are really annoying. Yeah, it's the same five adverts over. I'm convinced it's some sort of social experiment. Yeah. Many times you can watch the advert, yeah. and get annoyed. Yeah. Because I, I get really annoyed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also because we're all used to watch to watching stuff on YouTube, where an advert will pop up but you get the opportunity to skip the ad after five seconds or ten seconds. That has to happen more and more. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Which means that advertising itself will change. Because it means that um, if someone's creating an, an advert, they've, they've got a... They've got a sp- put their message over in the first five or ten seconds because people don't want to watch 30 seconds oh yeah yeah one of, uh, one of my friends Joe uh, Charman he's a really big viner he's actually worked he's the last episode before this one went, well this episode's probably four this one's not going out for a little while right. but he, uh, he's making an ad network to try and work on new advertising because mine's so short five seconds ironically of the five seconds you got he's trying to work on this whole new thing yeah. I think that's going to be such an interesting move especially while TV's evolving mm. where you have to just get their attention and you know not yeah but it's the same with uh, when I talked to Anthem the head of the BBC writers group she was like just get me in the first 10 pages because I'm going to lose interest oh yeah and if I've lost interest what's the audience going to do oh yeah well you know that's absolutely true and you know you know, because for us the, the other side of our business as well as being a, a creative consultancy is that we also now do a lot of training so we work with creative people with writers with um format creators with entertainment people in uh, training them in the processes of getting their projects right you know so we work with writers and we uh, we you know we run a comedy script editing course and it's about the skills and the disciplines about how you get a script ready for pitching and you know it's all about it's all about the first scene it's all about the first few pages because you've got to you've got to hit the ground running you've got to hit the ground running and if you're making scripted comedy it's like the thing that we talk about all the time is that from the absolute opening scenes you as you as a viewer 
or a reader of a script, you've got to understand exactly who these characters are, what their relationships are, where the comedy is going to come from, where the conflict is going to come from. Comedy comes from conflict. And so uh, that's a really, really important lesson. And we, we actually use um, a really good example. There's a, there's a fantastic um, script editor, comedy script editor called Andrew Ellard. Have you, have you done anything? What are these no, with no, Andrew? No, no, you no, no, you no. must talk to Andrew Ellard. He's the go-to guy. Uh, as comedy script editor right now, so he's worked with Graham Linehan on the IT Crowd. But he's worked on Miranda. He's worked on he worked on Chewing Gum recently, and he was really really instrumental in transforming what Michaela Cole had created, which is a sort of stream of consciousness into six episodes. So, but a- a- Andrew uh, uses a fantastic example. He, he always says, "Go and watch the very first the pilot episode of Friends." Okay. Mm, yeah, the pilot that. episode of Friends, because the very first scene, yep. it introduces the, f- the four of the six characters beautifully. Yep. Just in what they're saying, you know who, what they are. You know who they are. You know what their characters are. You know how they relate to each other. And that is the challenge for anyone writing scripted comedy. It's like, you know, it's like, you know get the character right and make sure what, it, what is coming out of their mouths is in character. Yeah, I remember, and I remember the character was Rachel who ran in in the wedding dress. Yes. And immediately after that, you knew, oh, I know five characters. Yes. It was so well. I remember yeah, that so yeah. well. Because I, I remember starting Friends a little late. I think there were three seasons in. But a friend said, watch it, you'll like it kind of thing. At this point, it wasn't a big watch type thing. Right. And I somehow found an episode. And I just remembered what, and I just remember it stuck with me for weeks where I was like, I need to find the next episode of this. Because yeah. it wasn't when on-demand players were useful or anything like that. Right. If channels are looking for something different, like as in each channel is looking for a certain tone of voice and a certain style of comedy, it makes sense that training is possible, if that makes sense. Absolutely. You know, the reason that we have recently run a, a comedy script editing course was entirely based on conversations with, with commissioners, you know, with commissioners at ITV, with commissioners at Channel 4. And they all said the same thing. We desperately need more comedy script editors, desperately need more comedy producers, because those roles are really, really important. You know, the comedy script editor, you know, their job is, is, is to act as, you know, uh, confident uh, supporter, teacher, parent to a writer. You know, it's a complicated job. And their job, as well as making sure that the character is right and, and that the dialogue is right and it's funny, they've also got to, got to be thinking about the channel, the, the end result. You know, and so that's why those jobs are really, really important. And those skills can be taught. You know, you, you, you know it's because it's about... It's about it's always about understanding the market, you know, and it, it, sounds, it sounds terribly business-like and, and cynical, but, you know, we, we all work in a commercial business, and it, the sooner people embrace that, the better, you know. Uh, up to a certain point, you can go, yes, I want to do this because I love the comedy, and I, I love comedy, so I do it for free enough times that I, I'm aware that that's the thing, but however, at some point you have to go, I have to eat. Like, yeah. And so I have to sell the thing, and 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 also the person I'm trying to sell the thing to has to eat, yeah. and so and and the only way that works is money. Yeah. And uh, and it makes perfect sense to me that um, I mean it doesn't make perfect sense to me that adverts are the way forward necessarily. I mean because I work like I said I work on Twitter, and so for me it doesn't add up that long term advertising is necessarily going to be the full like advertising just can't pay unless it's on bulk now so so you need enough viewers to validate the number of people it's like it's like when you buy a, a, a poster on the underground they'll say 
12,000 people a day will walk past it. Yep. How many of those people actually view it kind of thing? You know, how many people get up or skip the ad or whatever, you know? Um, so, so from my perspective, I don't think adverts are the way forward. I think, I think community around a project, community around a, a, a TV show and, and, a, and a community feeling that wants to support it and keep people going yeah. makes so much more sense as, yeah. a, as a long-term viability for, for independent people as well as yeah. large broadcasters. Okay, That's, okay so that, this is a really interesting subject because uh, I agree with you about what we know is traditional advertising absolutely has to evolve. And the thing is, the advertising business, they're pretty good at evolution. They're pretty good about finding the way to get their product, their brand embedded and attached to content. I had a fascinating conversation this morning about this very, very, very thing. You know, we're developing a... um, uh, a, a scripted comedy with a, with a writer at the moment, which has a uh, a youngish female lead, uh, and uh, the project is actually written by an advertising man, and so he has contacts in that world, and so we, we so he has now started a conversation with a major international uh, um, brand, which has lots and lots of smaller brands, you know, and. And they're really interested in getting involved in the in the project because the character and the setting is is um, on point for one of their products. Okay, <laughs> so and this will happen more and more, so that a brand will become associated with content in in quite a subtle way. It's not about putting banners all over the thing and have people wearing T-shirts with the brand. It's a much, much more subtle thing than that. But it's about, it's about creating content that feels at one with a, with, a, with a brand. And then, and again, they're very, very smart about how you disseminate that. As an example, so we did some consultancy work with uh, Fosters, so with Heineken UK, when they were doing... Uh, um, the uh, Steve Coogan project when they brought back uh, Alan Partridge. Now, Mid Morning Matters. Matters. So, you know, the original project was was um, supported by Fosters and, and Heineken UK and worked brilliantly well for them, for them because they created a, a standalone website and that was the only place where you could see that material yeah. initially. And, and it had... It, you know, it, you know, it wasn't it wasn't covered in Foster's branding. You know, Steve, Steve Gooden wasn't wearing a Foster's cap, but there was a sort of an intrinsic connection that it was a Foster's related project. You know, and the thing is, if people like the content, they don't really care what what if there's a brand association. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, clearly some comedians have have major problems with that. But so then the challenge is for brands is to is to make that association not offensive. Yes. Not offensive. See, the thing is, the bottom line is that any creative person who wants to make uh, uh, you know, a piece of entertainment or a piece of comedy for any channel apart from the BBC, they're ultimately being paid. They're being paid by brands. They're being paid by advertisers. And, and I know a lot of people don't like that or, 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 or like to ignore it, but that's the truth. And so that's only going to get more sophisticated as, as time moves on. And content will become more closely associated with brands, you know, in a very subtle way, hopefully. Because the brands understand that there's no point just putting, you're labeling your brand all over a product. Because that's when people go, oh, no, I, I don't like that. I don't like that. Um, but advertising people are quite smart 
you know, and I'm sure they'll come up with some new solutions. The other interesting thing is something you just touched upon about community around a, a performer or a writer or an idea. There was, a ve- there was a very interesting development in the world of music over the last 10 years or so. Because uh, the music industry was notoriously hopeless at dealing with the threat of the internet. And so the internet has sort of destroyed much of the music industry and, 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 and the way record companies operate. And they, they, you know, suddenly there was this thing, this phenomenon that emerged that if, that if a band had a community of a thousand fans or three thousand fans who were prepared to pay for the to go to the gigs and prepared to pay for the downloads that was enough to keep a band going that was enough that was an, the, the community was enough to keep a band going so that's going to be really interesting when that happens with comedy when, the, when there was a community big enough I'm sure it's like with Stuart Lee Stuart Lee I'm sure there's an absolutely big enough community of Stuart Lee fans who would pay to be part of the Stuarts community and, and pay for whatever Stuarts next evolution of comedy pro, uh, comedy product um, whatever that might be yeah yeah, yeah I mean th- this is uh, I mean I've been saying this for at least two years now I mean I've just finished writing a book called How to Make a Living by Working for Free right. and it's literally about building communities around what you're doing it's why I have a group for my podcast you're in it I mean I have a group rather than a page because yeah. I want it to feel like a community I have a Patreon for people to support it if they want to and they can because I want to give them the facility to uh, sponsor it at the amount they value it yeah. rather than anything else because I don't want them to feel like they have a, a set amount that I feel yeah. it's worth and and from my perspective in it especially in music um, I, I often feel like the wrong questions were getting asked for the longest period of time they were asking you know how do we stop piracy whereas it's really how do we let people pay what they think it's worth yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know that sounds counterintuitive and it is but when you look at you know like you said if you have a deep connection with an artist I have you know I have a band the front bottoms are one of my favourite bands I will pay through the nose to go and see them whenever they are in right. this country. I will buy their limited edition CDs even though I have them on Spotify and I yeah. don't need it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and the, the thing is, although I am uh, elite in that way, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not every fan. They've got enough middle ground fans that will pay to just go and see them in a concert. That means that they, you know what I mean, they will keep going. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so the people who pirate... The, th- the thing that I've never understood about this is, and, and this is the thing that winds me up about um, channels, is especially recently, because I've been talking to a few TV people, is I think they think a download means a lost sale a lot of the time. And it doesn't, because, first of all, I only pirate stuff when I can't get it and I can't buy it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, and also, I never pass on something illegally because I hated it. Like, I never go, this is the worst book or this is the worst song ever, have a listen to this. I always go check it out here because you can't find it anywhere else yeah. because they haven't shared it so it's the interesting thing for me about the Alan Partridge thing was they only put it in one place and so I think it was global though I think they put it live so you could listen to it everywhere because yeah. I think that's another issue as well is that um, and Louis CK did some really interesting things about this where he said the reason why he could sell out a tour in Australia even though Louis wasn't available out there is because they all pirated it and went we love what you do yeah, yeah. And, and it was just because HBO said we don't know how we're going to make money in Australia and it's like well you're going to make nothing because you've let, made someone over in America yeah, to yeah. share it there for yeah. free and, and, and Louis C.K. can go to Australia and uh, you know, I don't know if he plays arenas like he plays arenas here but so for, for Louis C.K. That's a, that's a brilliant 
that's a brilliant investment. Yeah. It's an investment. Letting people see his material means that actually he can play an arena, he can play the O2 here yeah. and sell that out at £20 a ticket or whatever it was. You yeah, know. Yeah. So there's another interesting phenomenon which is in publishing with Unbound. So know you know, about, yeah. so Unbound is really interesting. It's like the, you know, in the olden days there was nothing more naff than self-publishing. You know, self-publishing was for people who couldn't get a book deal, and so they would self-publish, publish, and it was the naffiest thing. Unbound, which is essentially self-publishing, is now really, really cool and has a whole load of really great, great, great writers. And again, it's all about creating a community, mm. people who want to be part of it. And it's like, and however, if you need a, a 500 pledges or, or, you know, to get the book made, you know, people will do it. And like normally the minimum pledge for um, an Unbound book for the actual copy of the book is like 20 quid. Yeah. Okay, now, I never pay 20 quid for a book. You know, mm. it's like I, I buy stuff on Amazon, etc., etc. But, but for the books that I bought on Unbound, I will because I feel part of that community. You know, and you get your name in the book, and you feel part of it. And some people will pay, you know, two hundred pounds for a special edition of the book and a meeting with the author and an invite to a party. You know, so there's no reason that model can't be copied by comedians by by creating content and actually selling it through a community similar to the Unbound model. See, that's really interesting, because Unbound were one of the publishers I spoke to for my book, and, and they were the one of the ones that said, we'd love to take it on. Yep. And I ended up cancelling my contract with them, simply because, I think they said the minute... I, I seem I'm allowed to talk about this, but the minimum cost for the digital book was going to be ten pounds, and then I think it was twenty for the paperback yes. or something like that. And I just thought that's so ten dollars for a digital book is so expensive. Yes, I couldn't look people in the face and say, yeah. could you buy it for that amount of yes. money? Yeah. I mean, I know they have a lot of overheads, and I know they have a lot of uh, kudos and, and a lot more audience and community than I have. Yeah. However, I just felt this this I it could be done cheaper. I agree with you. Do you know but, what I mean? But, but clearly that does work for Unbound. Oh, yeah. That, that, you know, that does work for Unbound. And so, you know, the fact is that, that, that there are enough people who are, will be prepared to pay, you know, you know £10 for the, the, you know, the digital edition or £20 for the, 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 the paperback edition because they want to feel part of that process. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's all part of crowdfunding. You know, crowdfunding of, of comedy is, is a really interesting part of the future because... It's for for newer acts. It's a real challenge. If you're like you know, have you got five hundred fans or a thousand fans? For big acts like Louis C.K., it's like it's serious money. It's serious money. You know, basically doing it yourself and crowdfunding it. You know, it's it's happening in music. You know, you get like a music artist like Amanda Palmer, who used to be in the Dresden Dresden Dolls. Dolls, You know, who she crowdfunded her. I think her most recent album and. Mm. You know, made got, got two hundred thousand dollars in pledges. You know, album probably only got sixty thousand dollars to make. You know, yeah. so well, she's now got a Patreon, which means that she basically can make an album whenever she wants right. because they've already pre-ordered it. In a yeah, way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's so, amazing. Yeah. yeah, and so for the for the comedy community, that's really interesting. Mm. So if you can if you can think of a model where it's a mixture of of crowdfunding of, of, a, of creating a community that will support it and maybe some branding some very subtle brand association as well then you can make stuff mm. then you can make stuff you know mm. so you know I think it's a really interesting time you know yeah yeah I mean I'm because of my day job I'm, I'm very oh, I've got about five minutes I'm very uh, adverse to doing adverts simply because I mean I, I, 
I bumped into, when was it, 2013, I bumped into a uh, voiceover agent who basically spoke to me and then said, uh, have you thought about doing voiceover work? And I said, no, I've never really thought about it. And she just went, you should never do voiceover work. Right, right, and I was right. like, why? This is before I started the podcast. And I was like, why? And she just went, your, vo- your voice just wouldn't sell. Any right. You sound too sarcastic all the time. And I was like, are you heckling? Because we were just having a drink. Like, it wasn't. But I, and after that, I sort of, I mean, it's not that that's put me off it. It's mainly that I... I, there's something about adverts that make me feel very uncomfortable, especially as I'm constantly chasing a bigger and bigger audience yep. rather than a valuable audience. And and I think there's sort of a line between the two, you know, on some sort of a Venn diagram where you're, you're, you want the most engaged audience that love what you do, but you also want the biggest audience yeah. possible yeah. And, and I think that's the frustration especially for newer acts and newer people developing TV stuff is, is you know if you put it online you, you know 20 people might watch it and you go oh what's the point of me even making that well, yeah. well you've learnt a lot and, yes. and also who are the 20 people if you're one of the 20 people that watch it it doesn't matter that only 20 people watch it because you might want to take it to channel five yeah you know what i mean indeed indeed and, and the whole thing about you know that's why i can come back to talk about, about the the about how advertising people are quite clever and it's like what they will do is that they will solve those problems and so and so the advertising won't be so brutal it'll be much more subtle and so and so creatives won't be offended by there being this association with 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 whatever the brand may be yeah. yeah, totally, totally. And and are there specific programs that you like working on and don't like working on, or, or like deal breaker points or anything like that? No, I mean we're very, very lucky, you know, because our, our company is, as I say, is not a production company. So for us, that that's incredibly liberating because it means if you have a production company, your business is about being in production, is about turnover of production. So we, we, we don't have to do that, you know. So we can work with a lot of really interesting, creative people from, as I say, from writers, from new writers to really established writers. We work with a lot of talent agencies working directly with their writers and, their, and comedians and, and, and presenters. We work with a lot of production companies. You know, we work with, we have a lot of, lots of conversations with brands. And so, and so all these conversations are really, really interesting. So a conversation like, like this about the future of, of content and the future about how content is going to be fun Funded and how it will, how it how it relates to to the you know communities around, around ideas and around talent and, and brands. I think all that's fascinating. Yeah. So for us, it's great, you know. And we're not scrabbling around to get another you know six part fact tent series that is going to pay the bills. I completely agree, and it's and it's part of the reason why I wrote that book, and part of the reason why I keep trying to have these conversations with everyone because I. I, for me, I'm trying to find my thousand fans. I'm right. trying to find a thousand people around the country that like what I do, yes. which is hard to do, it turns out. But, it, but it's one of those things. So I'm, I'm, I'm organising my own tour, and I'm going around, and I'm trying to get like 50 people in each city, which is sounds easy because yeah, it's a yeah. very small number. However, it's not. Yeah. And and to do that, and then hopefully get maybe 10 or 15 of them to sign up to a mailing list, and then I'll go back around to them next year and yes. build on that. Yeah. But the point is, is that those people are at the moment live people, and I'm trying to also get them interested in my online stuff because I've got a sitcom Monday, I've got a short film I'm writing, I've I've got this podcast I'm doing, and it's and it's getting them invested in stuff. But obviously, not everyone's going to be invested in stuff, and it's kind of trying to work out how you make that connection with a person over the internet. Okay, that fascinates me. Okay, I'm going to use an awful word, and I apologise right now for using this word. It's marketing. It's all about marketing, and. And I know, you know, so, you know, people working at the grassroots, you know, don't really think of being involved in marketing, but that's what it is. It's about letting people know what it is you do. And so, and whether it's through social media, whether it's through just having a fantastic,
automatic mailing list, whether it's through being really, really pushy and emailing people who might be able to help, like in the industry. Mm. Um, this is all marketing. It's mm. all marketing, and it's it's what it's what you know. Again, it's what everyone has to embrace mm. because it's about letting people know how great you are. You know, whether you know, we have to do it with with, with our company. You know, we spend a lot of time mar- marketing what we do because it's about saying to people we're over here we do this mm. and it's just like you will probably quite enjoy working with us because um, we, we're we quite good at what we do <laughs> quite good at what we do we're, <laughs> gonna, we're, gonna, we're biased but we're ho- quite good ho- hopefully yeah, yeah. Yeah. no I know I know what you mean It's uh, I, th- I think the problem is that marketing conjures up images that it isn't anymore no which makes people feel I mean it made me feel when I first started in social media feel very uncomfortable yeah. because I was like oh I'm working in marketing however I'm writing jokes yeah. like it's what I like doing and it just so happens that brands are buying them yeah. so it's not it's not what I think of where I go because there's two types of marketing there's um, interrupt marketing and permission marketing and interrupt marketing is like TV like you said where it just puts an advert in the middle and goes yeah. look at our product yeah, yeah. and then there's permission marketing where it's I followed you because I want what you're about to say exactly and exactly. and that's miles more important which is why I have a mail which is why I have a Twitter and, and a group and stuff that's right because I'd much rather do that than force my shit down someone's yeah. throat well you know and, and you know and I, I use the word marketing in, in the widest possible sense you know having Twitter followers is marketing mm. you know having a Facebook group is marketing because mm. it's all about getting your message out there and trying to and trying to extend that and expand that as much as you can okay yeah um final questions yes. i know you've got to dash off um right what are the best books on comedy writing stand-up that you've ever read oh wow that's a really difficult question um i uh okay i'm gonna swerve that go on then i think for anyone who's interested in writing um there's a great book by a guy called John York, Y-O-R-K-E. So John York, York has been a, 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 a television drama executive for a long time. And he has written a book. Oh, you might have to look this up. It might be called On Story or something like that. Forgive me. But, but yeah. he, he, his basic rules on dramatic writing are really interesting. And all the rules for dramatic writing apply to, apply to comedic writing... The one, the one addition for comedic writing, you've got to make it funny. You've got to, mm. you've got to put jokes in, you know. Really? So that's why, that's, why, <laughs> that's why comedy is harder than drama. Okay. And it's just like whatever drama people say as they swan around, it's like comedy is harder. Mm. I, I, I want to agree, but I have friends that do drama and acting, and I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> be neutral. Yeah, I'll be neutral. I think they're just as hard in different ways. Nice, nice. <laughs> a, di- a, di- a, a diplomat to a the last. PR answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what is the best show you've ever worked on, and why? Oh God, I'm extremely lucky that uh, I've worked on a bunch of or been involved with a, with a, with, a, with a bunch of really really good shows. Um, I was very lucky to be involved with Jonathan Ross in his breakthrough show, The Last Resort with Jonathan Ross of the late '80s, which went from a, a show that no one knew about that went out at midnight on Channel Four to being the coolest show in the country in three months. That was exciting. That's like being in a band that goes from nowhere to having a number one like in three months. That was exciting. Mm. I'm perennially grateful that Simon Pegg and Jessica Stevenson and Edgar Wright came in to my office at Channel 4 with Spaced because that is still a show. Everyone knows Spaced. Everyone, everyone, everyone knows it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, whenever I bump into Simon, he's, he's, a, he's delightful. And, you know, he, he, he remembers that, that first meeting. 
great to be involved with Matt Lucas and Dave Walliams. You know, I did their first stuff. I put them. I was the first person to put them on terrestrial television on Channel Four in the late nineties, and then worked with them at BBC when they were doing Little Britain. Um, so yeah, I've been very lucky. I've worked in. I've worked in a, in a, in a, a bunch of really good shows. Right up to now, it's just like Alan Davis as yet untitled is is a classic. It's a non-format show. There is no mm. format to that show. It's got a tiny, tiny little format thing. Mm. I'm r- incredibly proud to be involved with that show because it shows that if you put five funny people in a room, put cameras on them, you're going to get a great show out of it. So mm. I'm very happy with that show. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what's the worst show you've ever worked on, and why? Uh, oh, there's so many, so many. <laughs> oh, you always have loads of failures. I'm trying to think of a terrible show. Um, it, 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 it wasn't a terrible show. When I, when I was at Channel 4, I did a little game show with Tim Vine called Fluke. <laughs> and similar to Deal or no, no Deal, it was a show that was based entirely on luck. And we thought this was a great idea. And it didn't really work. You know, so it, it wasn't an awful show, but it just didn't really work. You know, um, you know. Again, it's it, you know a, a show and another show that I'm really, really proud of that no one saw was when I was at Channel Five. I did a show called Angelos. Angelos was the first show from Boac, so uh, Ian Morris and Damon Beasley. Um, obviously, their second show was the In Betweeners, mm-hmm. but it was their breakthrough. It was their first show, Angelos. But it was written by Sharon Horgan, had an amazing cast of Alice Lowe and um, Shelley Longworth. Uh, great cast. If, you, know, if, you know, buy the DVD of Angelos. It's a sweet little ensemble comedy about a bunch of people who, who meet in a cafe. You know, I'm very proud of that show. And no one has seen it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what's the biggest mistake you've ever made and how did you get over it? <laughs> um, oh, the biggest mistake... You think the problem with television is that, you know, it can be great and it can be really shitty. And uh, I guess my biggest mistake was putting some trust in some people that I shouldn't have trusted. But you live and learn, you know. What doesn't, what doesn't kill you makes you, makes you go stronger, you know. So, yeah, there's a couple of things. There's, there's a couple of relationships within television, professional relationships that, in retrospect, I would have handled differently. But, um, you know what, I've been extremely lucky in my career. The fact that I've been a commissioning editor at two, at two separate networks, you know, I've worked with great people at the BBC, so I'm extremely lucky. And now I'm doing a job that I really enjoy. I'm really lucky, you know, we've, we've sort of found a, 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 a niche in what we're doing with Grand Ski Media that, that is really satisfying. So, you know, I, right now I get to work with really interesting people, you know, writers like Ryan Sampson, you know, who's in Plebs and is a super, super talented guy, super talented com- comic actor, super talented writer. So I'm really lucky that I'm able to work with a whole bunch of new people right now. It's, it's exciting times. Uh, who is the mo- Who do you think is the most underrated person in your industry? Uh, oh man, that's a really. I tell you what. <laughs> I tell you what. Um, I always thought Tom Meaton, uh, comic performer, was a genius. There's a there's a couple of people I've worked with over the years that I thought you are a genius. One of them was Neil Edmund, who used to be in a, in a sketch group called The Consultants, that they had a number of series on Radio Four, and we spent a long time trying to develop their TV show. I always thought Neil Edmund, who still who still works, pops up on shows and stuff like that. I always thought Neil Edmund just had some genius 
odd, oddness about him that I loved. Same with Tom Meaton. I, I've seen when... So Tom Meaton used to be part of the ensemble who were at Ealing Studios. So in the sort of early noughties, I seem to remember. So Ealing Studios was a great proving ground for a whole, a whole generation of, of character comedians. Uh, I, I've, I, don't, I don't think I've ever laughed as much at stuff that Tom Meaton did then. And Tom Meaton's in a, in a duo with uh, Steve Orham, Orham and Meaton. So he's an unsung genius, Tom Meaton. Mm. Okay. Uh, what do you think is the biggest problem in the comedy industry and how would you go about solving it? Um, the trickle-down from arena comedy has not happened. That's the big problem. With arena comedy, with the, with the explosion of arena comedy, and I mean the M- Michael McIntyre, Bishop, etc., etc., Manford to a certain extent... Uh, there was a great belief that that would be trickle down. There would be a lot of trickle down. That all these people who'd never been to a comedy gig before, but would go to the O2 to see Michael McIntyre, would go and see more comedy. I don't think that has happened as much as people would have wanted it to happen. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Um, and last, so it's the last question. Um, what is the best bit of advice you've ever been given, and what is one bit of advice you would give to a comedian or writer who is trying to make their way in the TV industry? Uh, best bit of advice I've been given. Um, um, you know what it's not, it's not so much advice it's about you know in this great business of ours whether you're a, in television or whether you're a performance it's, it's good to have a mentor it's good to have someone who's going to back you and support you you know I've been very fortunate in that I've had a couple of great mentors Paul Jackson who is a legendary comedy and entertainment producer has been head of comedy head of entertainment at the BBC head of entertainment at the ITV he was a great mentor to me uh, and a guy called Tony Austin who used to run the Paramount Comedy Channel when in its most creative period when uh, again a whole generation of performers came out of Paramount Comedy in the mid mid 90s Simon Pegg uh, Lee Francis worked there Mighty Boosh etc etc my family more as a producer so and uh, Tony Austin is a great mentor get yourself a mentor get someone who's going to help you and op- open the door and and for comedians the, the the thing that I would always say is you know we work in a commercial business understand that embrace that right from the beginning because it, you know don't be in denial about it it's like it's this is what we do you know if you go if you do a gig and you want someone to pay five pounds to come and see you do a gig you're in a commercial business and understand that and also if you want to make tv understand the market it's like know what the channels are making you know see you know make sure you've seen you know, at least a show from every channel, so you know what their tone is and, and, and what they're making, because that will only help you get your stuff right. That was Graham. I I can't even tell you how much fun that was because I I did it and then I left it a few days before I edited it because I just had other stuff that I needed to get done, and I forgot how many subjects we touched on, how his opinions on creating content for the internet, but also the different channels and how to get your stuff seen. And just everything, it was. I just really enjoyed chatting to him, and I find I find the TV industry infinitely fascinating. And I've got a few others coming on, who I can't wait to talk to about the same subjects. So if you've enjoyed this and you want to get more TV-based interviews, please join. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast or join the Facebook group. It's called RC Industry Podcast, and it's on Facebook. Obviously, I'm not going to I'm not going to go into as much detail on the way you can support again, but very quickly. 
iTunes, review it, please, that'd be amazing. Five stars would be ideal, but whatever you think it is genuinely worth, unless you think it's one star. If you think it's one star, just stop listening. I don't know how you've got this far through an episode, but if you think it's worth one star, just go on with your life and leave it. That'd be amazing. You can donate as a one-off on PayPal via my website, which is simonkane.co.uk, or you can become a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. Either way is amazing. My preference is a patron. You can donate as little as you want for that. As low as $1, which is ATP an episode. Honestly, I know how many people download this, and if just 1% of them were to start giving a dollar an episode, it would it would mean the world, and it would really help out with me putting in so much time for these, as well as uh, like things like the conference, or live pods, or anything like that. So please, if you're enjoying these, and you want to keep it going, do consider giving me a buck an episode. And finally, I'm at the Brighton Fringe in May, so if you can come down and watch me, my two shows, one's called Buddhism and Cats, and it's at the Carolina Brunswick, and the other one is called Human in Progress, and it's at the Hobgoblin. Either one you want to come, or both, you can come to both. They are completely different material, by the way. So if you want to come to Buddhism and Cats, that's a complete finished show, that's fine. If you want to come and see my new show, which is a work in progress, it's called Human in Progress, it's a hobgoblin. That's fine as well. I just wanted to make it very clear they're very, they're completely separate shows and the material in them do not cross over because I don't like doing that. So if you want to come to either of those, please do. Not going to say any more, but thank you so much for all your support for the last 50 episodes. I, I honestly, I'm, uh, I'm, ju- I'm just overwhelmed by how this project has gone in the last 50 episodes and it just means the world and just, yeah, thank you very much for listening thank you so much for supporting thank you for donating if you do and hopefully i'll see some of you in brighton do come say hi if you come down to brighton and come to my show otherwise i'll see you all in about 10 days time bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.